All right, welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Eric Peterson, but I go by Planet Peterson on TikTok and YouTube. I'm a science teacher, but I'm most well known for doing debates and discussions on TikTok with people who have alternate ideas about the shape of the earth, evolution, the existence of God, free will, and a lot of other random things. This is our inaugural episode, and I'm pleased to be joined by two of my fellow TikTok creators, scientist Simon and Globeman. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell you what they're all about. My name is Simon. Um, I do, in the private sector, microbiology research. Um, after graduating with my Bachelor's of Science in Physiology uh, in 2015. Um, I mainly work with uh, bacteria, yeasts, and molds, uh, and their detection in different uh, foods and pharmaceuticals. All right, I'm Tyler. Uh, I go by Globeman on TikTok, and I normally just argue with flat earthers. I, uh, I don't know, I, I'm a little bit of everything, I guess. I, I don't have any degrees in anything, but I like jumping in and just talking about different subjects. I've learned a lot from a lot of people, so I like to spread that knowledge. Very good. So the way this will work is we have a number of questions that our viewers have submitted on TikTok, and we'll be answering those. If you have questions you want us to address in future episodes, check out each of our accounts where we will post videos where you can submit those questions. And we'll, we'll share that information. It'll be in the description for this video, and we'll have each of us uh, plug our platforms towards the end here. So. Let's just jump right into it. So the first question I got, this is from Astro Gerbil. And Astro Gerbil wants to know, he asked about the apple in a box. So if an apple, it, go, it goes like this. If an apple is placed inside of a perfectly sealed box and time progressed to infinity, eventually the state that the apple was in when it was placed in the box will happen again. All of the atoms and particles will reassume that form. So just hearing that, what do you guys think about that? Um, I don't know, it reminds me a lot of... Uh... There was this show on Netflix called Genius, actually, where they were talking about like Albert Einstein and kind of going through that. And it sounds similar to that because uh, there was something in the show where he had like a box of pencils. And then what he did was he threw them out of the pencil box and they all fell on the ground. He was like, well, if we were to do that enough times, maybe there would be a chance that it goes back to the state it was in. Right. Just the exact same form. And uh, I don't know. It sounds similar to that as far fetched as it might be um, possible. Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> It reminds me of what's called like Infinite Monkey Cage, which is uh, Brian Cox. I don't know if this is like a TV show or a TV episode or special he did, but it's just the idea that if you have an infinite number of monkeys typing for an infinite amount of time, eventually they will write the works of Shakespeare because they have to, because <laughs> it's an infinite amount in of time. Infinite time, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, for me, like an infinite amount of time doesn't mean that all things will happen. It means all things that can happen will happen. You know, so this apple in the box thing, I'm not sure if this qualifies as something that can happen, but I mean, I don't know. I, I went on some like physics forum and I just looked at what a, what a couple of people were saying. So I don't know how to dissect this any farther. So if there are any experts listening to this, you could, you could, you know, respond to it, get in touch with one of us. But 
one of the responses was this is like Cora for physicists, you know. Mm -hmm. um, they said, as far as I can tell, the Apple claim refers to it's called the ergodic hypothesis, which implies that each microstate of a system will be assumed over time. So in the Apple example, the macrostate is the box containing a given collection of atoms with a given energy. So the Apple being whole is one microstate. And so therefore, um, it would need to be assumed again by that hypothesis. But you know, there were other, the same person goes on to criticize it and says that um, the ergodic, or ergodic hypothesis, it's not, well, he said it's not even a real hypothesis, but it, it certainly doesn't mean it's true. It's just an idea, mm -hmm. right? And he says he doesn't think it's compatible with like a Newtonian system. So for me, like, and this, again, this is just what I think, but um, there are, so like there are different kinds of infinities, right? Um, th there are some infinities mm. that are that are bigger than others. So I wonder if the Apple doing this is just like, like what can happen isn't part of the infinity of uh, of what leads to the Apple resuming its form. So, the, you know, the apple will rot and the molecules will rest on the quote unquote bottom of the box. I'm not sure if we're supposed to ignore gravity in this situation, but that's where they have the least amount of energy. So the idea that the atoms and molecules mm. can spontaneously arrange into a higher energy state just to me doesn't seem reasonable, I guess, or supportable. So there are an infinite number of ways those atoms and molecules can settle on the bottom of the box um, and perhaps an even larger infinity number of ways which they can assume all over the box so i'm not sure i do know that sean carroll actually he co-authored a paper where they calculated how long it would take uh for a piano to do that exact same thing to just spontaneously reform um i can't remember what the number is but that paper actually is online i was reading some of it earlier at work today but i got kind of my eyes glazed over after going over enough of it. So I don't know how long it would actually take, but I assume it's a very- And, and it sounds like a, more of a, like what is the possibility rather than probability almost? Because I mean, is it probable for that to happen? Almost not at all, right? Like it's it doesn't make sense that an apple would rot and then reform back in a, a normal apple form. But given enough time, is it possible? I mean, maybe that that's a, that's a tough one to answer because kind of like you just said, it'll fall to the, you know, like you said, bottom of this box. Well, there would have to be some kind of force to be able to push it back into an apple form. Right. Yeah. And it, it makes me wonder what sort of uh, theoretical parameters we have uh, around this box, right? Is it is it ignoring gravity like you made that point? Um, is it perfectly insulated, right? Is there any energetic yes, loss a, to that is part the, of it. it outside can't of the box? Yeah, that, that is part of it. I guess I should have mentioned it can't interact with the outs outside with anything outside of the box. And I know so, in Carol's case they ignore mm -hmm. gravity. So So then so then we would assume that uh, anything that could happen in that box would be an equilibrium. Right? Like there's there's no there is no energy loss. So whatever right. energy is given off by the rotting of the apple is still within that box and could i guess theoretically be used to to you know move back and forth between different states uh given enough time um you know that look 
um, what is it like time doesn't pass for a system at equilibrium because uh, everything, uh, you know, a, a perfectly balanced reaction at equilibrium is transitioning both forward and backwards. Um, and so it's interesting um, outside my wheelhouse, but uh, <laughs> yeah, fun to think about. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is kind of fun to think about. I know. Um, so this is one of those things where I mean, the amount of time that it would take would probably be longer than the, the molecule. I mean, like, because even ordinary matter spontaneously decays into, like, things that aren't even considered to be radioactive eventually do break down. Like, protons and neutrons just mm -hmm. degrade into pure energy. At least, I think that's what happens. So I feel like the amount of time for the apple to assemble would probably, we'd get to that first. But they're probably assuming, like, well, you know, it's not, we have to ignore that that happens too, right? So, I mean, it is what it is. That's probably about as far as, as we can take that that question, I would think. Yeah. It's, it's very totally infathomable amounts of time. This, yeah, I'm definitely no blitz, so I can't answer that in like a, a good way for be. sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, this comes from, there is a Netflix show about this. I can't remember what it's called, but hmm. there was a, I got tagged in a video that, that talked about it. Um, so maybe next that's question. where Gerbil got his question from. My question is, is, are we talking like red delicious or like, you know, like the green sour kind? I think, yeah, that, that, I think, that I makes think that's a difference. factor in this. The real question is, what kind of apple would you want to come back from being rotted? <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine wanting to eat any of them. Well, you could get any kind. <laughs> you got to make sure it's the one you like, though. Can't just be a random one. <laughs> perfectly time your picking of this apple out of the box. Right. All right, our next question came from Michael Montica, 463. I hope I'm saying that right. And this question is, is talking to people who say they won't change their minds discouraging? And if not, what fuels you to keep going? So who wants to do that first? Mm, I mean, I guess I, I can real quick. So I don't know, the biggest thing is um, whenever I have discussions with these people, the goal isn't to change anyone's mind because i mean I, we've all heard it a thousand times right you can lead a horse to water but you can't force it to drink I, they're mm. kind of the same thing right you can give somebody the knowledge to be able to understand something but if they don't want to understand it that it's kind of useless right so that's the thing it's more so just uh right I'm, I'm here to present the knowledge that i've come across right the things that i know and uh so people can look into it further right i don't want anyone to take me just at face value i want people to fact check me and um I don't know. I think I've gotten to a point now where I realize that if you go into it trying to change someone's mind, you're just going to get frustrated and just want to argue with them, you know? Yeah, I, and I, I share a lot of that same view. So most of my discussions center around the, the topic of biological evolution. And I think the only people that don't or, or, or that would hold a position contrary to evolution is, is factual and it happens are um, come from, you know, a, a very strongly motivated uh, stance on the issue. And you can't get those people to change their minds. And so much, much like you had said, um, the goal isn't to do that. I think my goal in those discussions is to, to also just present the, the facts so that anyone listening to our discussion who might be, uh, who might be swayed uh, can hear that there are these um, you know, these counter arguments to evolution is trash and, and whatever. Um, 
the things that I didn't hear uh, in high school when I was very much leaning uh, young earth creation. Um, no one, no one was actually teaching me about uh, these biological concepts, and we certainly weren't getting it in school. So now I, I like to think of myself as just like one of the voices right in the marketplace of ideas that I kind of wish existed when I was trying to form my own opinions on these things. I wish there was like we a voice it. of reason almost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, voice of reason is not. We know who that is. It's not a voice of reason all the time. Not all the time. I agree, I agree with him on, on several things, but... Uh, a little bit, is, yeah. A little bit is kind of out there. <laughs> did they they did not teach evolution at your high school, or it just didn't get covered with any meaning in any meaningful depth. So it it didn't it. Uh, so the the underpinning. So like you can briefly touch on it without actually making it sound like a credible thought, right? Like yeah. that the the mainstream consensus is kind of like this happened, but when you're when you're being taught that. Um, from a deeply uh, religious biology teacher, you know, they kind of hand wave and, and don't actually give it to do. Um, and like there, there was at least a notice that went home that would say, hey, we're going to cover this topic in the coming days. And some kids didn't show up uh, because their parents just felt that strongly wow. about it. So that's uh, that. That's pretty sad <laughs> for me. Um, have yeah. you, so have any ever gone on Omegle before? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There used, it used to be, oh, uh, man. there used to be some, there used to be some TikTok accounts that they would upload instead of, I think maybe this is before TikTok had a live feature, but people would, no, it, it was when it had a live feature, but people would live stream their Omegle debates. Um, mm. So I, during the pandemic, I got so bored that I went on Omegle a few times um and i talked to people from all over the world it was really fascinating but occasionally you would run into uh some like really horrible figures who have like you know a flag from 1930s germany let's just say in the background mm. and i talked to several of those people um and it just it, that is extremely discouraging um, cause you know, they won't, but the reason it was, is because I was talking to this one person and then they could just hit next whenever you make a good point and you just leave so frustrated, but TikTok is completely different because the way I view TikTok, it's like, for example, I did a, uh, I w was a guest on somebody's live stream a couple of days ago and for 45 minutes, we just yelled at each other. Um, and we, we made arguments. He thought he was right. I'm pretty sure I was right. You know, but the point is, uh, several thousand people saw that and it it doesn't matter that much that i don't think he changed his mind and he doesn't think i changed my mind for me it's the marketplace of ideas and there are other exactly. people consuming it so uh whoever's right or whoever's wrong i i trust the collective intelligence of of the audience or whatever to be able to ascertain that which is why debate and dialogue has to happen uh, to get those ideas out there so i i have no idea but i feel like i've probably changed uh some minds of people who are on the fence that were listening or you know i i'm sure that people that just didn't even know hardly anything about the topic and listen to me debate somebody learn something new from me and perhaps from them as well and there's real value in that you don't necessarily see it maybe you can't measure it 
Um, whereas, you know, if the other person just went, fine, I admit it, you were right, then that would be immediately gratifying. But I don't go looking for that because I don't think it's realistic and I don't think it's super important really either. Well, you have to remember, there is that one guy who told his boss the earth was flat. <laughs> I have no idea if that guy is real or not. But <laughs> well, I don't know either. Those, those were some pretty funny lives, though. I know that much. They were great. That is, that is one of the classics. All right. This one came from Wild Heretic. So the question is, how does the heliocentric model explain double suns or mega cryometeors? And we'll probably have to start by addressing what on Earth is a double sun and a mega cryometeor. All right. Um, the mega cryometeor, I meant to look into it, but I forgot to. But the double sun thing, that's just, um, I'm sure people have seen videos of it before, but someone's taking a video of, let's say, a sunset or a sunrise or something, and you see two suns. Right, this is a phenomenon that only happens through a lens. It doesn't happen like you don't actually see it with your eyes. Um, so that I mean, that's really the most there is to say about it. I, I don't know why the heliocentric model was brought up for that when it's a camera thing, but <laughs> and then mega cryometer meteors. I don't know, maybe uh, science with Simon or you have looked into it. I I didn't get much of a chance to. I I googled the term once because somebody brought it up, and it's basically just extremely large blobs of ice that people find on the ground. They don't really look like hailstones. And we don't have, I don't think we have a good meteorological explanation for what they are, but the person that brought them up to me told me that it was a chunk or it was, it comes from ice. So this person thinks that the earth is a sphere, but it, we live on the inside surface of the sphere. And so if you lived on the opposite side of the planet from somebody and you both looked up, you would be looking towards the center of the planet. And in the center of the planet, there's an enormous glass sphere, and that is what the night sky and the whole universe is. And so he was telling me mega cryometeors, which is very difficult to say, are the result of ice forming because it's very cold near the sphere, on the surface of the sphere, and then falling off. Kind of like that um, frozen toilet thing in Joe Dirt, if you ever <laughs> that movie. Um, so that, I was thinking of like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. It's not that much, <laughs> right? Just a piece of, yeah. Say that five yeah. times fast. Mega cryo cryo meteor. I can't even say it once. Say it one time. Say it one time slowly. That's the goal. <laughs> Mega cryo meteor. Yeah. So the double sun thing. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a lens artifact or or whatever. So, um, that's. That's an interesting one because obviously nobody's ever seen one. It's just photos of them that have been passed around. And, you know, what is it? It's kind of ironic because, like, these are the people that tell us, like, oh, everything you believe about space and there are no photos of Earth from space. It's just, uh, you know, a CGI or whatever. It's like, but, but you're coming to us with something that exists only, which we know is just a photographic, like, artifact. You know, it's like a glitch in photography. Mm -hmm. And so, that counts as evidence of something apparently all of a sudden but you know if they weren't hypocrites they wouldn't believe in the things they do so well i, I mean, saw it with my own two eyes on my camera <laughs> i mean that's the thing if uh i mean we're we're trying to reason with somebody who thinks there's two sons <laughs> yeah you, can, we gotta, you can't we think about for a second you can't logic someone out of position they didn't logic themselves into right right 
Yeah, you're yes. gonna have to find some other conspiracy. You gotta make it a conspiracy, like the heliocentric model. They've been lying to us about it. We actually go around the sun. The Earth, it was flat, but then we figured out it was a lie. You believe in models? You gotta go crazier than them. You gotta throw right. them off. Like, what do you think of double suns? You still think the sun exists? <laughs> There's at least four. I don't know. There was a there was a, there was an explorer. His name was Luke Skywalker, and he grew up on a planet that had two suns. It's been documented. Oh, yeah, true. You know, not gonna lie, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Books have been written about it. It's true. Lots of them. Also, some people even wrote fan fictions about him because of how awesome it was, I heard. There have been many movies. Some great, some absolutely awful. Truly, they really hit the pantheon there. <laughs> All right. Um, since we're going in this direction, uh, Crispin Bonilla asked, why are UFOs almost always saucer-shaped? And um, is that even a good design? So does anybody have... And then uh, another additional question is, why are aliens always naked? So with regards to any That's of those... That's the important question. Crispin's asking the important questions here. Why are they naked? Right. That's a good question. Did so, they have a weird kink for humans? Why do they keep coming here? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. George, George Carlin. I'm not going to uh, say any of it, but George Carlin has an extremely funny um, bit about like how aliens... He's being very sarcastic. He's like, oh, I'm sure aliens would love to come to planet Earth. And then he lists all the absurdities of of human beings um so go go look it up i don't want to steal his bit but do you th is a flying saucer a good design for a space faring vehicle that also does atmospheric re-entry mm, is that structurally I sound i mean the biggest thing is obviously the the reason a lot of them look like that is because they're balloons Right, like a lot of sightings have turned out to just be basically weather balloons and they've basically gotten squished and they just take mm -hmm. on that kind of saucer shape. But as I don't know if that would actually be a great design. I mean, I don't know. I I have no idea. I'm not an alien. Maybe I am. <laughs> maybe I'm not a very smart one. <laughs> I don't know either. I mean, you know, with a somebody asked me once what would be the best shape for uh like a a trans planet vessel i don't know how, like a spacecraft we'll just say i don't know why i tried to be fancy but i i basically said well it depends on what the what the purpose is like if it's literally to ferry people then just make it the shape of a of a of a like a, one of those we call them the the freight liners you know on the like the ever given that got stuck mm. in the suez canal just oh. make it like that like literally as as blocky and ugly but as as efficient at at traveling cargo as possible so there's like, no resistance in space so it doesn't really matter what true. the deep is it wouldn't matter so the atmospheric re-entry that matters so the yeah. space shuttle had to be designed in a very special way but all the depictions you know we've seen of ufos the reason the space shuttle has all those unique problems is that the space shuttle re-enters earth's atmosphere going tens of thousands of miles per hour right mm -hmm. but all the depictions of ufos what, how do they travel? Or what is their movement like? No, they just kind of appear where they want to be. You know, they don't yeah. really need to re-enter and crash into something. Yeah. They, well, they seem to hover. They move in, yeah, they move in whatever direction. And they, I mean, the propulsion system, obviously, they, they don't even try to design it because 
it's not it doesn't have to be realistic <laughs> but they don't they don't have the problem of um the, they don't have the same problem of re-entry because ufo can just i mean if you could just like literally control your descent down to earth only sure. going as fast as you want then it, it doesn't matter you don't get the you, you don't get the compression of the atmosphere and the extreme heating along with it so the flying if you know whatever alien technology is we can't even imagine it so the flying saucer design is totally i guess valid you know if we ask like you asked the correct question which is is it structurally sound but it's actually probably just kind of irrelevant you know because they don't have to worry about the same kinds of things we do right if um, gravity is negligible then um, I, I don't even know engineering when gravity is not negligible. So <laughs> <laughs> I actually, this is funny. I looked into this. So apparently the origin of this is on June 24th, 1947, an amateur pilot was on his way to an air show in Oregon when he saw bright blue flashes of light near Mount Rainier, which is in Washington. So <clears throat> the pilot, his name is Kenneth Arnold. He tried to describe the motion of the objects to a reporter for the United States press, and a mix-up occurred. They basically misquoted him. He said that they flew like a saucer if you skipped it across the water. And I'm not totally sure what he meant by that, if, if they like, like had small bounced. undulations. Yeah, but the reporter thought that he meant that the objects themselves were saucer-like, and that appears to be the origin mm, of the whole flying, flying saucer. saucer thing. And what we know about this is, I guess this is kind of the Mandela effect, but people will will report phenomenon and they'll describe it in details that they've been primed with before, mm -hmm. that they've heard before. So like the the most the most well-known example I have of this is people who have reported stigmata. So stigmata is a phenomenon where the 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 wounds of the crucifixion spontaneously will appear on your on your hands. But then there were, I don't know who on earth did this research, but there was some research that came out that said, actually, you know, if you drove a nail through your hand, that couldn't possibly support the weight of the body. And I think we have also found remains of people who had been crucified. They would instead drive it between your radius and your ulna. The radius and the ulna. So then all of a sudden, people, I think this is like late 1800s, early 1900s. Now all of a sudden, stigmata phenomena were appearing on people's wrists, right? <laughs> or people were reporting that mm. they that they saw that or that it happened to them. So it it changes based on what we're sort of preloaded with thinking in the first place. And the, I think the flying saucer thing, yeah, it's probably a huge part of it. But what about the naked part though? Oh yeah, like, why, I forgot about that. Why, what, what about alien physiology would permit them to be like all terrain creatures? I don't know why they're so often depicted as being naked and they they don't have so they're not humans but they're they're depicted as being humanoid right but they can't tell which ones are male or female they don't have junk uh so to speak or anything like that <laughs> um i don't know why this is i would assume it's it's just a, an attempt to enter the uncanny valley perhaps or something like that to make it an effective piece of filmography um the whole concept of the grays like they, they're gray and they have giant heads and and big eyes that has been reported by people who have claimed they've been abducted i don't know the origin of that 
that that specific description because an alien shouldn't i mean we can imagine that they would look totally like literally the sky is the limit with what they would mm -hmm. look like we're just so lazy that we just we're, we're so lazy and we're so self-important that we imagine that they would look like us right yeah that is, that is kind of weird i mean i guess it comes down to uh we have nothing else really to go off of right like we as far as we know you know the most uh, as we would define it intelligent things on this planet are us but that again yeah that's just measuring using the human scale like we we don't actually know what the possibilities are for all that we know we're the dumbest things in the universe we we could be up there yeah there's a really good episode of futurama where they uh uh leonardo DiCap I said DiCaprio because Fry keeps calling him that. But Leonardo da Vinci, it's revealed he was actually an alien yeah. that came to Earth from a planet of genius aliens. And he's the dumbest one on that planet. So he <laughs> came to Earth because he was so sick of being bullied. Ah, oh, that's such a good episode. I need to watch that in the near future. That's um, what that's what uh, Venom tells uh, his host in, in one of the Venom movies. Like, I want to stay here because on my planet, I'm kind of a loser. Like you. <laughs> and it's like, oh, That's funny. I haven't seen... I think I saw one of the Venom movies. Um, a movie that takes extreme creative license with aliens is Arrival, I think it's called. Um, mm -hmm. Came out not that long ago. So check that one out if you want to see uh, a, a, a free-range depiction of what aliens can be like. They, they resemble octopuses, just to give it away a little bit, but they're it's it's very interesting. All right. Next question is um Ferdialero. I don't know how to say this. I'm so sorry. Ferdialero asks, how come pilots flying over the Atlantic use HF radio and not VHF radio? And I don't even know what those two things stand for, so I'm just gonna shut up. Oh, um I just recently had a conversation with uh Matt about this. Um, so if I remember right, I believe the reason they do that is because they're able to get longer, like they're basically able to get their signals further away um, by using something similar to like what a ham radio operator would use, um, which is bouncing the signal off of the ionosphere. And basically it's able to travel further um, than you would be able to with another frequency. If I remember correctly, I could be off on that. Someone may be able to correct me if they see this. But if I remember right, that's why, because obviously the only other option when you're in the middle of the ocean would be uh, satellite communications, which they also do use. So my little Google search says that HF radio bounces the radio waves off of the ionosphere. Okay. So, so you, you, right you, where, whereas VHF, it basically just goes in a straight line. Okay. So I was right. I, I, uh, I actually remembered that. I'm surprised. <laughs> Overall, very have you fun. ever flown over the Atlantic? Uh, no, I haven't. I've actually never left America. My brother and my sister have, but I have not. I flew over them, their mountains over there, but <laughs> I threw a football not. over them one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlie nine three eight two eight three zero two zero one nine. Wow, I hope I got all those numbers right. Um, <laughs> is asking us how high would you have to be to see a little bit of curvature so i have an answer for this but i'll let somebody else go first um so i mean 
if you just Google it, they'll tell you that you can start seeing left to right curvature, meaning, you know, like where it's bowing, basically. Um, it'll be slight, but it's there at about 35,000 feet. But there are also other ways to see the curvature, for example, on the z-axis going away from you. Um, you can use something called horizon dip angles. And you can see as you go up higher, the angle between that line and the horizon increases. That's because on the z-axis, it's going away from you. Um, same thing with watching boats go over the curve, but a lot of flat earthers don't like that answer. So uh, the dip angles is a bit more of a nail in the coffin. And you can do that from like on the top of an apartment building if you want. Yeah, um, I've talked to people who flew on Concorde when Concorde was still in operation, and they told me that they could see curvature when they were up on that. Um, I th This will get used by flat earthers, I'm sure, but because uh, they like to be like, Neil deGrasse Tyson even said. So he was on the Joe Rogan podcast maybe like a month ago or more, and he, he said that even when, uh, I think it was Felix Baumgartner, the, the Red mm -hmm. Bull guy that did the stratosphere jump or whatever, he said that from that height you can't see curvature and he says it's a it's a fisheye lens but that's far higher than i don't remember how i thought it was like one hundred and seventy thousand feet or something like that but he claimed that even from there even from there oh certainly higher than concord yeah but he, he claimed that even from there you wouldn't really be able to see curvature so i that's sort of conflicting but my my simple answer was going to be what you were talking about with you know like the curvature in front of you is very apparent. Um, I I live in California and I remember the first time I went to the ocean because I, I had never seen it in person before. So you have a you have a you have a horizon that is uncorrupted by topology, right? Mm. Which is a very fancy way of saying it's level. I mean there are waves, but they're sort of meaningless at those at those distances. And it's shocking how sharp the the horizon is um if the earth were a flat plane going going out from you then the the water would not just sharply demarcate at the horizon it would blur into it would just it would just gradually fade and you couldn't see the end of it at all like that would be, right. that would be completely impossible which should immediately be apparent but instead you see this it's it's a flat thing but it's extremely sharp uh, so I think, I think going to the ocean would convince a lot of flat earthers that they're believing in nonsense. Or even one of the Great that, Lakes nothing would work. as well. Yeah, uh, I, I went to Lake Michigan once before I became, before I uh, moved to California, but it was foggy. Hmm. I was on the Wisconsin side. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's really easy to measure that kind of stuff, too. Like, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. The town in, so Wisconsin is, <clears throat> Wisconsin has got all the, like, um, all the funny named towns are in Wisconsin. So the town I was in was called Sheboygan. That was the actual name of the town. I think I had a teacher from from there in, like, fourth grade, actually. He was a huge Green Bay Packers fan and everything. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's where he was from because that sounds so familiar. It's a yeah. It's I, I don't think there are very many of those or any towns that sound similar to it. So you're probably mm. right. Can't imagine. Do you want to talk about? <laughs> do you guys want to talk about the end of the universe? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I got Absolutely. asked. Well, this question isn't really about the end of the universe, but 
what I came up with leads us in that direction. So Bob Bostwick, 9800, asked, um, is it possible that the Big Bang was initiated by a particle entering a lower entropy state? So um, this really good book by uh, Katie Mack, she's a, she's a astrophysicist. The book is called The End of Everything. Uh, I don't know if I think it's astrophysically speaking or cosmologically speaking. I could, the book is right there. Um, but it's called The End of Everything by Katie Mack. It's really good. It's not, very, it's not very long, but it goes over six or seven different scenarios in which the universe could end. So the idea of a particle entering a lower entropy state, creating the entire universe, I'm not really so sure about, about that, but it's, it's maybe theoretically possible. So I am not a physicist, so I will... I, I will try to say as little as possible while still conveying a message because I don't want to make myself look like an absolute fool by misstating the facts. But in the book, uh, Katie Mack talks about something called vacuum decay, which is one of the possible ways that the universe would end. So um, basically, very shortly after the universe began to exist, when when inflation was going on, all of the fundamental forces and fields were unified into one thing, we're pretty sure. Um, so electromagnetism and gravity were just one unified force uh, along with all of the other ones, right? So, uh, but eventually they decoupled or they broke symmetry is, is how the author describes it. And the Higgs field apparently was part of this. So it's, it's possible, physicists think that there's actually good uh, apparently there's good data to support this which the author didn't really go over because it's 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 a book meant for the general public imagine imagine we have a hill and then a valley and then another smaller hill and the true valley so if a ball were to roll into that valley it is stuck there right but it's mm -hmm. a it's a false bottom and these are called i think they're called false vacuums in the book so it's possible apparently that the higgs field could have settled into what they call a false vacuum. But at any moment, at any moment, um, some sort of event like a, an extremely energetic particle could kick off so much energy that in that localized area of space, the Higgs field in a way could quantum tunnel to that lower energy state. And if it did that, then it would begin to rip the entire, well, it wouldn't really destroy the universe, but it would completely change the universe because all the forces would recouple or something uh in, in a brand new way so the universe would be it, it's as if the way i think of it is like imagine the whole universe is just like a bunch of playing cards and they're all face down and then one of them or how about mousetraps because we've all seen videos of that bunch of mousetraps that are primed one goes off and then it triggers all the other ones around it to go off so i think the effect the domino is domino effect kind of Kind of like that so like it doesn't like make the universe not exist but it completely recreates a universe under new conditions within itself so it's it's not exactly it would probably look like a big bang i guess perhaps i'm not sure we'll have to get blitz in here to maybe talk about this sometime sure. but that could theoretically be triggered by a particle going at incredible speeds so there were some people that were really concerned. Do you guys remember when CERN went online? There was all this fear that it could create a black hole. And like, yeah, people were thinking it was going to make yeah. a portal to hell or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's, that still goes on. Um, so the 
the black hole idea, she talks about that in the book too. We probably won't get into that today. But the a collision from these particles could theoretically cause that that event. And so people were worried about that. But the experts at CERN were like, well, okay, here's how you don't have to worry about that. Um, before, there have been these types of collisions going on countless numbers of times for billions upon billions of years because there are what we call cosmic rays. So cosmic mm. rays or the solar wind, these are just high energy particles. They're usually just lone protons or sometimes alpha nuclei, which are, uh, or alpha particles, which is the nucleus of a helium atom. But those are careening through space at close to the speed of light at, at velocities much greater than and equal to the velocities that CERN can, can manage. Now, when they hit the atmosphere, there's a lot of drag and so they get slowed down. But the moon doesn't have an atmosphere, right? So these particles have been slamming into the moon. I mean, there's, prob there's probably a million of them per square meter every second uh, colliding on the surface of the moon ever since the moon began to exist four billion years ago or whatever. So the fact that they basically said, the fact that the moon exists is very good evidence that we don't have to worry about whatever CERN is. Because if, if it's not happening there, it's not going to happen here. So it's it's nothing to worry about. So the universe uh, probably will not end in the next five minutes, which is good. Yeah, hopefully, it, you know, it ends at least after you post this. <laughs> at before. least after. Yeah, hopefully we get at least at least 10 views. <laughs> and one comment. There needs to be one comment before the universe ends. From a flat earther. Yes. Oh, yeah. Calling us all shields. All right. Um, so this one I want to talk about. So this is this question actually uh, came from Simon. So uh, Simon wanted to know what TikTok that any of us have made are we most proud of that turned out especially good or you thought was the most thought provoking? Um, I would have to look through mine. Someone else got to go first. <laughs> I I went through mine the other day um, or yesterday, and so. I have a couple playlists on my channel and the the videos in the playlist that just are called general debate there's a few in there that I thought were the best ones so one was one was actually a creator took a an excerpt from just something I was saying about what is life so how life is just a, a self-replicating chemical system and, and blah, blah, blah. I sort of broke life down to like its, its fundamentals, its basics. And he overlaid that with, you don't see me at all. It's just a bunch of AI art that starts at like the molecular level and then zooms out and you see unicellular life um, and then like simple life and then more complex. And it's got like piano in the background and there's a lot of like reverb in, in the voice and stuff. And it's incredibly beautiful. And it, it made me, I thought it made me sound 10 times smarter than I really am because the production value was good. Um, <laughs> but there's a few other debates in there. So we were talking about the, I was talking about the Omegle thing earlier and you will just run into the dregs of humanity on that website. And, mm -hmm. you know, you would talk to somebody that's, has all these horrific conspiracies or whatever and you don't know what to say like you can you can just say you're an idiot that's not true but you're not like substantiating that right it, it, to me it's self-apparent but that's not good enough 
So I've had a few debates that you can see in the in the general debates thing where you know I talk to people about one guy in particular made all these points that were it may not be the most obvious thing, but they were kind of like racist tropes that had to do with evolution. So um, it was saying things like like the implication was like people that live hunter gatherer lifestyles aren't as sophisticated or evolved or or as advanced as other people, which is. Um, or sorry, it was actually intelligent as other people, which is almost certainly the opposite case, uh, because I asked him, you know, if I threw you into the Amazon rainforest, how long do you think you could survive? And he was like, well, what, what technology do I get to bring? None whatsoever. And he took, he took great offense to that. Um, I was like, yeah, well, you'd be dead in about five minutes, but there are people that have been living there for thousands of years. And so, uh, natural selection would certainly have favored more people who are more generally intelligent to live there. You just have this sort of first world bias about what intelligence is and, and you think it's knowing how to change your oil when in reality, that's not super relevant or important. So it, I, I, I liked the way I was able to deconstruct that. And then there have been just some other conversations with people who just kind of say, I don't know if they gen genuinely mean it, um, but they say they say things that come across as like really bigoted. So like they'll say to me, um, so you think the the universe doesn't have a creator? I, no, I personally don't. Well, you're that's illogical then. And so I I ask the question, well, you know, let's take like I don't know, like a, a Native American tribe that has a, a creation mythology, which is completely different from what you find like in Book of Genesis or whatever. So between them, me and you. Who's the least logical? And his response was, you, you're both equally illogical. I was like, see, that's the bigotry there. This is something like really important to point out because they have, your problem with me was that I don't posit some sort of creator to this universe. Um, where, but I gave you an explanation that includes that, but it was different than yours. And then you just say that it's uh, illogical. So those have been sort of moments like those are where you know, I feel like uh, rather than just trying to like dunk on somebody or get a funny sound clip or sound bite or whatever, um, those are like, because I know I, I can understand people saying and thinking those things uh, because they haven't actually thought about what the implications for what they're saying are. But I think that's dangerous and we have to, we have to like be better than that. So pe hopefully people heard that and were a tiny bit wiser as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, just looking through my videos, I would think, I think the answer for me would be, uh, I don't know, first of all, probably just the views that I got when I first got my telescope, like looking at the moon and Saturn, those videos didn't do very good, but I'm just, I'm proud of them either way. But uh, for a video that did well, it, it would have to be probably, it was like a two-part thing, and I was just debunking Mark Sargent. He, he had like five reasons that he thought the Earth was flat, and I just did a, a little series just debunking every single talking point as he made it. And uh, I mean, that did good. It got like 1.5 million views for the first part. And then I think like two or, or sorry, 105,000 for the uh, the second part. So th those are pretty cool. You have you have more videos with a million views than me. I, I only have two. I have one that's about to get there. Um, and then two others that are north of 800,000, I think, but. I think I, let's see, I think I have, 
One, two, three. I have four right here. Three of them are pinned, and then another one I just posted recently. It was that awful slideshow. If you if you saw it, my my number one most viewed video is a a video about how long it would take Earth to disappear if a billion kilograms per second were removed from it, and it ends with a yo mama joke. So that's my. That I, I remember my watching that. There was one part yeah. of it that I that you messed up though. You said like yes. the number, but then it was a different number on screen. It yeah, it's two. I said two hundred thousand, but it's actually two hundred million. So mm, that, that messed uh, with just, me when I heard it. Just have to live with it because I cannot delete that video and repost it. Oh, come on, man! You know I think you could do good again with it. <laughs> so Simon, what do you think yours is? Um, I think well, so I I do like uh. Tyler's response um, when you said uh, like your astrophotography of the moon, um, there was one night where I went out and uh, I, I got like a really good video of the moon and like it completely apart from like uh, what the engagement on that particular one was. I was really proud of that one because it like the, the image was really clear um, and it was a really cool night. Um, and so for the story of making that one, and and getting that that footage, I, I was really happy with. Um, but I think in terms of getting people to think, um, I, I started this series on on uh, major topics in evolution, and I noticed that in my discussions with people, we couldn't even really agree on what biological evolution was. And so, so I just I just pulled up the definition of, of biological evolution. Uh, and went through it point by point. You know, individuals don't evolve, populations do. And it's a change in allele frequencies over generations. Um, and I think when you address those specific points, often those commonly misunderstood points, um, it, it's a real opportunity to address a lot of misconceptions um, in, in how people approach their uh, rejection of the idea. Um, and so those, in, in terms of thinking, I think that was my uh, my proudest, but I think the coolest story was when I when I went out and got pictures of the moon. It's always something more rewarding about doing it yourself, like rather than watching somebody else look at the moon. It's always nice to go out and like, even if it takes a little bit of work, just knowing that you're able to get a nice view. It's yeah, and you, like you know it's there, right? You see it all the time, but like when you, when you like finally like pull it into focus, and like, that's the moon. <laughs> like Ooh. I don't know. I think we could all do a little more with like just i don't know uh, amazement at nature right that's kind of what drove me to to be a scientist and when you have that understanding uh of the things around you i think it it cultures more um appreciation um and you know mobilizing that in our reactions to things like climate change and whatnot i think is extremely important but yeah. I I think it is sorely lacking. I I live I live near the Sierra Nevada mountains, and we've gotten unusual amounts of of rain, which means that the mountains have unusual amounts of snow in them, and the rain is is carrying the air pollution out of out of the air. So, for uh, you can we have unusually clear views of the mountains, and they have a huge amount of snow on them, and it is just the most beautiful thing ever. And I. I've been thinking like, I just need to take, cause you can see them from the, on the school campus where I work. And I'm, I've been thinking like, I need to just take my students outside and be like, we are, leave your phones in here. We're gonna go outside and just look at the mountains. And 
if you can't do that and just like be quiet for just a little bit um or like you know maybe you don't have to be quiet but if you can't look at those and just be like wow then something's wrong i hope i'm not i hope i'm not being an an old man but i feel like that that has to be meaningful and yeah i think mm -hmm. i think it is i think it is kind of sorely lacking for probably a lot of reasons which maybe we will talk about some other day but i think that is uh pretty good for our first episode so Ooh, first episode to, we did it we did it so i think to close out um i just everybody's gonna just do a quick little plug uh let them know where you can find them how you can look them up or and if there's anything coming up or, or special or cool they want to add so for me um if you're watching this you're already on my youtube channel i would i would guess probably but just search up planet peterson on TikTok, on instagram or on youtube and i should be pretty easy to find there and there are links to there are links to some other resources um like in the description for youtube videos and all that you can check stuff out there I said it at the beginning, uh, you can find me on TikTok just at Globeman, uh, all one word, G-L-O-B-E, and then man with two N's. And uh, I just debunk flat earthers and join lives and debate people pretty much. I don't got any other platforms. Is there a Discord or anything that that people that you're on that they can find you at or anything? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put the uh, the link to the Discord in my bio on TikTok. I've been meaning to do it. Uh, and I am uh, on TikTok as science underscore with Simon, one word. Um, and yeah, we just talk about uh, a whole range of things, mostly biological related. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for listening and a uh, special thank you to viewers that submitted the questions. Uh, there are some that we didn't get to in this episode that we can address in the future, but just look for Look for videos that we will post in the future where we will be announcing when we have upcoming uh, episodes and you'll have a chance to post more questions in the comments of those. So until next time, thank you.